ICMA University is pleased to present this online program entitled Prioritizing Emotional Strength During Difficult Times. We're very pleased to welcome all of you to the presentation. I'd like to draw everyone's attention to the links box located on the left side of the screen. This area contains links to handouts and resources related to today's program. When you click on a link, a separate web browser window or tab will open, allowing you to view, save, or print each item. The webinar evaluation link is also available in this area. You must be logged in to ICMA University to access the survey from here, but you can also find it on your dashboard after today's program by clicking on the program title. It's my pleasure to introduce today's presenter, Gail Smith. Gail is a licensed marriage and family therapist. She is the Behavioral Clinical Account Manager for Cigna Healthcare, where she acts as a subject matter expert to Cigna sales teams and serves as proactive member of assigned client account teams. Gail has been with Cigna since 2011. She's also a board-approved clinical supervisor with experience in outpatient therapy, in-home family and child adolescent therapy, day treatment, and working with developmentally disabled. Gail, welcome to the program. Thank you so much, Holly. I'm happy to be here today, um, although it be virtually, which seems to be kind of the way things are going these days, but appreciate um, everybody attending today. You know, I think this topic is going to become more important than ever. Uh, one of the things that Cigna has gone out and studied is the topic of loneliness. And if you've read any of the research that we've done on that, um, we see that it's on the rise. When we did our initial study in 2018, two out of five people reported levels of loneliness that were significant. And then when we repeated the study toward the end of 2019 and released those results at the beginning of this year, we saw that three out of five people reported significant levels of loneliness. And we know that that's on the rise. Uh, the more I read about the impacts of COVID-19 um, on our mental health, I, I see more and more people who live alone and are home alone are really struggling in this area. Some of the other issues that we have seen come out of this, uh, for example, you know, childhood hunger, domestic abuse, also an increase in substance use. There was a survey that was conducted where 42% of the respondents indicated and admitted that they were using alcohol during their working hours and working from home. You know, the mental health provider community expects an increase in mental health conditions post-COVID. Um, our, our pharmacy, Express Scripts, did a study, and between the period of mid-February to mid-March, we've already seen a huge increase in uh, medications for mental health issues. For example, we saw a 34% increase just in that month for anxiety medications. Some of the other ones that were significant were antidepressants and sleep medications. Uh, you know, if we look at history, these things tend to repeat themselves, right? So after the SARS outbreak, healthcare workers and those who were isolated or self-quarantined reported, you know, symptoms of acute stress as well as even some post-traumatic stress following that outbreak. One of the other interesting things, I hopped on a webinar a couple of weeks ago where there's a, a suicide hotline and a text hotline. Um, they do most of their, their responding via text. They shared that they're getting the most texts 
um, between the ages of 18 and 34-year-olds. Those are the highest utilizers of this service. And the first wave of texts that they were getting from people using the line is really that fear of getting sick or, you know, contaminating other people. The second wave of utilizers that came through were having anxiety about being in quarantine and stay-at-home orders. And the third wave has really been focused on grief, being alone, uh, people who are single, you know, and now they can't date because they can't be in person. Um, some people even losing their job, they're being furloughed, and then thus even not being able to pay their rent and losing their homes. And, you know, some of those young adults even having to move back into their childhood bedrooms, which has been quite difficult for some. They also noticed an uptick in first responder texts and calls. And the thing that they were surprised to find is the main theme that came up in those calls and texts was that their main concern was infecting others. So not necessarily even getting sick themselves, but infecting other people was, was the main concern with that. So today I just wanted to spend some time focusing on, you know, there are a lot of changes that leaders experience not only in their careers and professional lives, but also in your personal lives. And recognizing some mental health signs and symptoms that could be associated with this crisis that we're in. The main themes, as I have started to touch on, are stress and anxiety, as well as loneliness and grief. And then, of course, what good is information without some practical strategies, right? So to help you cope not only with some of these symptoms that may be related to COVID, but also beyond that. And of course, managing all of the roles that you're in, being pulled in different directions when you're you know, working from home and you have a family at home as well. The first thing I would like for us to do is a poll. I'd love to hear from this group, what has been the most difficult part of living through this pandemic? Um, for many of us, this might be the first big real pandemic that we've lived through. Um, as an adult, so I would like for you guys to start choosing which area, and, and I understand this might not be all-encompassing, but, you know, in general, what has been the main issue? You know, changes to work. The way that we work has changed, and for some, this is not a positive change, right? Some people are happy to be working from home, but for many, they're finding it difficult to be productive or feel connected to the work that they do. There may also be concerns about not being able to return to normal for a while. Um, talk about childcare, right? This has been interrupted for a lot of parents, and then they've had to add teacher to their resume. And I don't know about you, but if I had to teach an eighth grader how to do math, we might all be in trouble. Uh, and, and you're also not getting a teacher's salary on top of everything you're already doing. You know, while you may not have directly lost your job, perhaps another adult in your household has, and that can also have implications. You know, stocks and investments have also dropped. So we've, many of us, most of us, have been impacted financially one way or another. Um, you know, stress, anxiety, loneliness, some other emotional health concern could also include fears or concerns about not knowing what's next or how we might be impacted moving forward. And for some, of course, living alone is a choice, but during a time with stay-at-home orders or self-quarantining, it can be stressful and just very lonely. Um, your physical health. This could mean that you're part of the at-risk population, or maybe you've even had some COVID-19 symptoms. It could also mean that you have concerns about not being able to access health care or medication during the pandemic. 
There may be grief and loss associated with any one of these categories. And perhaps you missed a big event during this time, or you can't see some of your immediate family members. Life events, such as birth of a new child, weddings, graduations, many of these celebrations have all been put on hold or significantly impacted by the inability to celebrate in a gathering or get together in groups. So I know that these have been some of the big topic areas that have really impacted people. So thank you to those of you who have responded in the poll. And what we're seeing is, um, you know, about 19% of you changes to work, um, top area being stress, anxiety, loneliness, or some other, uh, you know, emotional health concern, um, followed by managing family and work demands. And those are probably the top two categories I've been hearing about as well. Um, we did have somebody say financial. Nobody said physical health, so, that, so that's great to hear that. Um, hopefully people aren't struggling in that area, but thank you for responding. And we'll, we'll be doing another poll here a little bit later on, so be ready for that. Um, so talking about some of the challenges that leaders face in particular, uh, research tells us that a good leader not only has vision, but is able to respond in times of crisis that elicit transparency and trust in the clinical world, we actually have a term for this, and it's called holding. And what it means is to contain and then help others make sense of something. So during times of uncertainty, leaders should be attempting to create a holding environment. Transparency is a really big element of this. For example, informing if budgets are going to be affected, if people will lose their jobs or be furloughed, or maybe if just their day-to-day -day work is going to look very different. Uh, you know, indicating what is known versus, hey, this is what we don't know about yet. The result of that is comfort and trust in leadership, albeit difficult if you're the one letting those people go. Uh, I just want to give you an example of what it looks like to create a holding environment. So a lot of businesses, unfortunately, are announcing that they're going to make it post-COVID, that they're going to have to permanently close their doors and a couple of places in the neighborhood that I live in, unfortunately, have already announced that they're going to have to close their doors. Um, I want to give a great example of creating a holding environment. One of the restaurants, they put out, uh, you know, their, their news article, you know, announcing their closing. They indicated what was going to happen for employees when they would be paid through, their benefits would be provided and extended through a specific date. And then for customers, what it meant for people who had already purchased gift cards. Typically, when a business closes, it's not uncommon that you would just be out the money that you spent on the gift card. But what they are doing is indicating that you can use that at one of two places uh, so that you can still you know, get, get your money out of your gift card. Um, so they did a great job, in my opinion, in creating that holding environment and just being very clear about what they could and, and could not do. So how do you identify, you know, symptoms? What, it, what is it that we're looking for? You know, the biggest thing I like to tell people is when you have a relationship or you know somebody, you're looking for changes, right? You're looking for any sort of change in their behavior, their attitude, their tone. Those are the biggest things. You know, the more that we know about the real dangers, the more that we can take effective steps to avoid or minimize them, and that helps put fears to rest. Having accurate information is an effective antidote to unrealistic fears. Uh, media news coverage can definitely arouse emotion and increase fear. 
I think especially toward the beginning of this. And it is important to get facts, but may not, you know, but it may not be helpful to hear the same reports over and over or have the news on all day long, eight hours a day. So be aware of how you and family members respond to news stories. Limit the television or online coverage, especially if it becomes distressing. The term pandemic in and of itself can be very scary. It's important to stay aware and, of course, informed, but try to make sure that your level of fear doesn't exceed your risk factors. News stories and images about the spread of the disease can make us feel anxious as well as helpless. Knowing how to minimize your risk can also help reduce your anxiety. The World Health Organization and Centers for Disease Control and Prevention have information on how you can reduce your risk of contracting the virus. Uh, like changing the channel on a TV, right? Intentionally shift your focus away from stressful thoughts. Spend time doing things that can distract you from your worries and help you feel more calm and balanced. Awareness means paying attention to the news that is specific to where you live and news that has a direct impact on you. Awareness is not the same thing as being in constant fear. Constant fear can create stress and be very counterproductive. It can be harder to deal with a true risk when everything seems like a danger. So we want to focus on what's happening rather than getting caught up in the thoughts of what could happen or what potentially is to happen. It's normal to be afraid or fearful, but if you find yourself needing extra support or you encounter someone who needs extra support due to being anxious the majority of the time or they're having difficulty sleeping, uh, unable to cope, you know, definitely encourage you or whoever you're um, interacting with to talk to a professional about it. A licensed mental health clinician can help you understand the root of your feelings and then really work with you to find uh, specific management strategies that can be targeted, um, you know, to you individually. Um, kind of continuing on this category, um, you know, the difference between stress and anxiety, I think sometimes there's a lot of overlap here, but one of the things that they do have in common is they can both be positive, even though they have negative connotations. Uh, stress can lead us to be productive, right? Like having to make sure my presentation was ready to go for today, that my, you know, phone is charged up, that everything, you know, technology-wise is working, for example. Um, another example, anxiety over getting a new car, even though you know your car payment is going to be more expensive, but you have that excitement knowing that you've got great features in your new car and hopefully you won't be in the repair shop every month. So these can be good things and, and induce us to be more productive. Stressors affect everybody differently, right? But it's how we cope and respond that determines the outcome. Anxiety is characterized by fear or worry, and typically that is excessive worry, about some sort of event or outcome. For many, especially in the beginning, and, and there still might be, there was anxiety about contracting the virus. The difference between stress and anxiety is, you know, stress is typically an outcome because we're, you know, it can be psychological or even physical, and it can be real or perceived, and it creates anxious feelings within us, right? Because typically people feel out of control. Um, other common symptoms that pe people might be experiencing um, other than the ones that I, I just kind of listed on the last screen include apathy, so just not really caring or even feeling numb, um, anger, hopelessness, uh, denial, I've heard a lot of denial, or even a sense of calm. 
Um, so I think that know that whatever you're feeling, know that it's valid, and know that whatever other people are feeling that you might be interacting with, um, you know, validate their feelings around that as well. That's the best way to be supportive. So we've broken this up into three zones, and I'm not going to read all of the bullets here for you, but definitely take a look at where you see yourself and, and kind of figure out what zone might you be in, what zone might you want to be in, what are some of the things that you might need to do to move through the zones. You know, many of you probably floated through these zones already, um, but it can be really helpful to take a look at where you're at today. The fear zone, um, you know, for example, hoarding. People went out and bought a bunch of toilet paper or bottled water, you know, different parts of the country. Um, I had to go to four stores in the beginning just to find a loaf of bread, for example. Um, complaining or having a negative outlook. And when we fixate on the things that we can't control, it can add to our fears. So for example, watching the news all day long, telling others that this will go on for years and things won't return to normal for the foreseeable future. Um, the learning zone, you know, not inundating yourself with the news, but again, paying attention to those credible news sources, especially in your specific area of the country. It's being able to identify what you can and can't control and then using your problem solving. For example, identify when you're reacting to something know what the cause is, and how you might be able to respond differently. And then the growth zone definitely takes it a step further. This is a much, you know, this is much bigger than the learning zone in that you find your purpose during this time. And you can identify on how you can help others. You're able to really look for that silver lining, especially during this time of uncertainty. You're adapting, finding new ways to make sense of the world that we're living in. So some examples, um, you know, Career Rise for me, it's been able to do webinars like this. That makes me feel like I can do something during this time. But another example might be picking up a new hobby or engaging with a former one. Uh, unfortunately, I'm dealing with a back injury right now because I decided to teach myself how to golf. <laughs> um, but one of the other hobbies that I reengaged with recently was making a quilt, and I was able to give that to my goddaughter for her second birthday, and that was very it was a rewarding experience for me. Um, some other examples might be dropping off meals or masks for um, people who are at risk or healthcare workers, for example. So there are things that we can all do during this time to feel like we're in that growth zone. All right, ready for a test. I'm going to give you 30 seconds, and I'm going to tell you that this is a math test, and your performance on this test is highly correlated with your IQ. Again, I'm going to give you 30 seconds to find as many numbers in this sequence as you can, starting with one, number one, right, then number two, three, four. But you can't look for number four until you've found three, for example. And uh, I'll definitely warn you as we get partway through, but go ahead and start 30 seconds right now. Fifteen seconds. Okay, time is up. So I want you to make note of how many numbers you were able to find in order, one, two, three, four, five, for example, what number you ended on. And now I'm going to give you the same stressful test, but once again with a plan. So you can see it's been divided into 
four quadrants, and you'll need to do the same thing, but I'm going to give you a little bit more direction this time. You're going to move around the quadrants in a, clock, in a clockwise fashion to find each sequential number, again, starting with number one, and I'm going to tell you it's in the upper left-hand quadrant. Again, moving clockwise, so same thing. You'll find number two and then number three, and, of course, I'm going to give you the same 30 seconds starting now. Halfway. Okay, time is up. So we are going to be going into another poll because I, I have to know how you all did. I just want to know simply, did you improve on the second test when I gave you a plan, yes or no? Did you improve? Did you do better? than you did on the very first, first um, math equation, if you will. Give folks just another moment to respond here, but what we typically find is a majority of people do, um, do a better job or can find more numbers uh, the second time around. Plus, it also helps to see it again, I think. But you know, dividing it up into quadrants and, and giving you more direction probably was helpful. Um, versus just saying find the numbers. It might have taken some of you some time just to find number one, but some of you may have figured it out. You may have figured out how to work through that. So it looks like 80% of you did improve whenever I gave you the plan the second time around. So why, why are we doing math equations? Oh, let me back up and first say it's not really uh, attributed to your IQ. I just did that to give you a little uh, stress-induced activity. So no worries, they're not attributed to your IQ, but some of you may have seen this. Cigna has put this out um, in media outlets, you know, even some commercials that are out there. But this is just a, a plan for stress. We find that when people have a plan on how to control their stress, uh, they're actually able to execute it a majority of the time and have a better outcome. We know that even pre-COVID, 84% of the world's population is stressed. And of course, some stress is normal, but too much can affect your body and your mind and even lead to chronic illness. So the sooner that you learn to effectively manage your stress, the better. If you're feeling stressed, you don't have to suffer in silence. There are ways for you to take control and develop an effective plan of action. So taking control of your stress is easier when you have a plan. So this was developed by Dr. Stuart Lustig. He's one of our psychiatrists here. Um, for behavioral health at Cigna, and this is a four-step plan that can help you manage stress better. So to make a plan, first you want to find a period of time to unwind. That's what the P stands for, and this is really your, um, you know, time of day every day that you're going to take time to unwind. So for me, sometimes I move this time around depending on what I've got going on for the day. So knowing that I was doing this webinar today, I decided to do my daily walk right before this because I knew it would just help me kind of unwind and make the transition from the other work that I was doing earlier today and just really get into the right mindset. The L stands for location. Where are you going to go? What is conducive with a, you know, a stress-free or relaxing environment for you? So 
So for me, getting outside in the sunshine and walking along the river is a great location for me. I would not say a great location for you would be continuing to sit at your desk and doing maybe um, a meditation or mindful activity, but um, getting away from your workspace and getting into um, a space or a place that's conducive with, you know, anti-stress. And then the A is really your activity to enjoy. You know, I just mentioned walking, but for some it's reading a book, listening to music, maybe cooking or baking, whatever the case may be. It has to be an activity that you personally enjoy. So if you don't like yoga, don't feel like you have to do yoga. If you don't want to sit cross-legged on the floor, um, don't do that. Do an activity that you enjoy that really helps you to unwind. And then finally, we all need support. The N stands for name. This is a person that you can talk with, um, you know, whether it be at work or in your personal life or both, about setting those boundaries and prioritizing and, you know, even reaching out to an old friend or family member who you haven't spoken to in a while. Um, but the sooner that, you know, you have a plan and we see stress differently, of course, the sooner we can manage it. So we worked with doctors, artists, technologists, innovators, and we developed a way to, for you to actually physically see your stress. So you can take our quiz to visualize the stress you're feeling and get suggestions for making a plan that's tailored to your level of stress. Um, Cigna offers free tools and resources on our site, and that's Cigna.com slash MyStressPlan. And that includes a questionnaire for people to evaluate as well as visualize their stress and create their own stress care plan. So I want to um, kind of jump into talking about loneliness here. I know I sort of teed up this topic for you already and, and telling you about how we've been studying this at Cigna, but loneliness, you know, defined, it really is perceived. It's in the eye of the beholder, if you will. People can be alone and not feel lonely. In fact, sometimes we go out of our way to be alone, right? If you've ever been a parent to a, a pet or a small child, you know that, you know, getting 10 minutes alone to take a shower, for example, is um, great, right, for you to de-stress. And that you're going out of your way, right, to be alone. So you can be alone and not feel lonely. But vice versa, people can be surrounded by other people. They can be in a crowded room, for example, and still feel lonely. Loneliness has a similar effect on our bodies as smoking 15 cigarettes per day. We've studied that for years. We know that you know, smoking cigarettes is not good for our health, and we know what it does and what a detriment it is to our health, but loneliness has that same physical impact on our bodies. And I think that was one of the things that I was, you know, most surprised to learn about. All right. You know, what, what can we do to be a part of the solution? You know, during this time, we're having to be more creative in the ways that we work as well as the ways that we connect with family and friends and, and people and, you know, people are using Zoom and FaceTime and, you know, all these other types of applications more than ever. And while I don't believe that replaces face-to-face -face human contact, it does give us a way to continue to stay connected. This pandemic has forced us to actually pick up the phone, right, just like we did before texting was invented, if you can remember back that far. But the biggest thing is learning to recognize loneliness, not only in yourself, but into your, you know, your family members, your colleagues, and your communities. 
um, you know, finding that work-life balance that's right for you. One of the big themes that we found in all of our loneliness research is people who said they had too much or too little of social time, working, sleep, exercise, all these areas reported higher levels of loneliness. So having a balance in those areas can really help uh, with that. Now I want to just spend a moment talking a little bit about grief. Grief is another issue I identified earlier, and it causes people to feel symptoms of depression and anxiety. And this can have an impact on our health as well as our immune system. So for those who have chronic conditions, the process of grieving can actually exacerbate their conditions and their symptoms. Grief, of course, is a natural response to a loss and not necessarily a bad thing. Um, but being able to identify and describe grief as well as cope with grief is very important. Some of the things that people are grieving during this time include a loss of purpose, missing out on vacations, weddings, other celebrations, and sometimes even the loss of a loved one. So what are some of the things that you can do to deal with grief? First and foremost, give yourself some grace. Go easy on yourself, right? Most of us are probably dealing with more stressors than usual. Um, give yourself grace and compassion. You're dealing with a lot, and no one ex maybe has experienced exactly what you have, but know that you're not alone. For the most part, people are experiencing more stressors during this time. So reach out to your support system. Ask for help. And it can be sometimes hard for us to ask for help, but maybe that's just asking somebody to lend an ear, right? I just need you to listen. And of course, I, I can't say this enough, reaching out to a professional if symptoms are disrupting your day-to-day -day and persist over a period of time. You know, we've seen over a 50% increase in use of virtual care for behavioral health. Most clinicians have transitioned to using HIPAA-compliant technology to see their clients, um, you know, using webcams. So it's becoming more and more common now, um, especially during this time. Some of the other ways that we can cope with the agile environment that we're in today include, you know, physical and emotional areas, getting enough sleep, physical exercise, right, eating balanced meals, not drinking too much alcohol, participating in activities that make you feel good, right, having a balance of both act active and relaxing activities. So what I mean by that is, you know, not spending all day tackling all of the house projects you've been putting off or your spring cleaning list, but also not spending all day binge-watching the entire season of Tiger King, right? Maybe you balance those activities to get a good balance of active with relaxing activities, but also implementing some structure and boundaries wherever possible. You know, schedules have changed so much for people to balance um, their kids and their school and work and family, but having a schedule and maintaining that schedule can help us to really focus on those responsibilities during set periods of the day, and that can help us deal with some of the chaos that we might feel like we're facing. So some of the other strategies, you know, as it relates to the pandemic specifically, include ensuring that you're monitoring the level of news you're getting, right? I can't say that enough and getting it from a credible source. Um, checking in with yourself to recognize, how am I feeling today? Am I anxious, fearful? Am I panicking? Focus on what you can control. And then when it comes to 
um, the disease as well as your experience during this time. Some strategies for coping, especially with uncertainty. You know, learn about current situations and recommendations from the World Health Organization, CDC, um, public health officials, rather than, you know, relying on the rumor mill or even social media. People are posting a lot on social media as it relates to this pandemic. Uh, staying informed is a good way for you to feel more in control and knowing that you're doing what you can to stay safe and stay healthy. With so many changes, what remains the same? Hold on to those routines as you can and use them to maintain some stability. You know, having regular meal times and bedtimes are just two examples of ways that we can make our world feel more predictable. Self-statements, for example, uh, I have always figured out a way to land on my feet can get you back in touch with the fact that you're steering your own ship, right? You're not a bottle tossing and turning in life's seas. Take it day by day. What are some of the things that you want to accomplish in the next hour, the next day, or even the next week? Start small and then build from there. And then, of course, remember, these measures are temporary. Plan something to look forward to in the future. Maybe it's a trip you want to take or perhaps even an event in your community. Um, plan a neighborhood block party, for example, to celebrate the end of social distancing. You know, many communities are, are able to start getting together in smaller groups now. And while you might not be able to plan firm dates or times, but you know, the act of planning reminds you that there's going to be a time that things are going to return to normal, and um, this can be a reality. So I'm going to go back to um, showing compassion for yourself. I just, I can't reiterate this enough. We can feel grateful and disappointed about things being canceled. Yes, we can enjoy extra time with our loved ones and feel overwhelmed by their presence and the fact that they're always there. We can be hopeful and we can also feel like everything is falling apart at the same time. And yes, we can be a source of support for others and prioritize our needs and fill up our own cup. All of the feelings that we have are valid and we can feel opposing things that are happening at the very same time. So I, I want to first address the term social distancing. Um, this is a term that I have um, not liked since the beginning. Uh, I don't believe that it was intended when it was put out into the universe, but it, do, it does give us the message that we should be distancing in all aspects, right, socially. I prefer the term physical distancing for that reason. So I, I mentioned taking up golf. I decided to take that up because it's something that is allowed where I live, and it's a way for me to get outside and be active. And so far, I'm really enjoying it, other than tweaking my back, of course. Um, but I see it as an opportunity to do things I probably wouldn't have if it wasn't for the pandemic. And then also just getting back to that former hobby, as I mentioned, that I did before. Um, one of the other things I'm really looking forward to is my team members and I all live in different states because we support different parts of the country. Um, and we decided to have a virtual happy hour and we're all going to be on camera this afternoon at the end of the day. So something that I'm really looking forward to. Um, I know some uh, have done some really fun themed video calls where people are wearing funny hats or wigs or whatever the case. And that really helps uh, people feel a sense of normalcy and, and brings people together. 
So I want to talk about some strategies for working from home. Um, I know many of us have been home for a while now, and maybe you would have appreciated this advice sooner, but better late than never. Um, you know, arrange for childcare whenever possible, and know that if you've got access to an EAP, that might be able to help. Um, otherwise, if your children will be at home, you may need to tag team with another adult in the house, or at a minimum, have rules and boundaries and activities to keep children occupied. Um, you know, talking with those that you work with about um, kind of what's going on with you and, and what your guidelines are can be helpful. Um, I also heard a story about somebody who worked with their child to say, hey, when my office door is closed, it means I'm busy. But if we put, if we make a sign together and we put the sign on the door that says do not disturb, you absolutely cannot disturb me unless somebody is, you know, bleeding or there's a fire. Um, of course, then you can't have that sign up for eight or nine hours a day, but it gives children more of a boundary on when and when they cannot interrupt. If it's possible, creating a dedicated office space, um, a separate room with a door is great, but if not, even just carving out a quiet space that's free from distraction. Um, you know, of course, we, most of us have to keep in mind, you know, privacy and equipment security and things like that. But um, the other thing is, you know, your ergonomics. So strive for a setup that supports not only efficiency and productivity, but protects your health, uh, making sure it's comfortable, having supported seating, good lighting, and good computer proximity. Um, this is one that uh, many of you might go, wait a minute, Gail, I don't know about that, but the dressing for success. Um, you know, one of the perks of working from home is being able to wear, uh, you know, leggings and stretch pants and sweatshirts and, you know, slippers and whatever the case may be. And it's funny, my supervisor was telling me, because we're used to being out in the field and having meetings, he goes, anytime I go into an important meeting, I have to put my shoes on. Because for me, that just gives me a sense of normalcy, a sense of, hey, this is an important meeting. But, you know, think about what works for you. What has an impact on your mindset? I have a friend who's been working from home full-time for about eight years now, and whenever I see her, I'm, I'm always so impressed. She's got her hair done, her makeup is done, she's wearing real clothes, jeans. And I say to her, how do you get up and get ready every day? You don't even have to go into an office. You don't have to see anybody. And she said, for me, that's what I need to be successful. This is what I need for me to get into the right mindset. So thinking about that. And of course, paying, paying attention to your hygiene, right? If it's been three days since you've taken a shower, Make sure you're paying attention to that. And then finally, I just wanted to talk about organizing your day. You know, working at home really requires a disciplined mindset. It's super easy for me to get distracted by a crumb on the floor and then suddenly want to mop the whole thing or, you know, want to get dinner started or work on laundry. And while that can be a perk of working from home, um, it can also be a distraction. So it's important to organize your day by setting your priorities and, and scheduling your day just like as if you were in the office, including breaks away from your, from your desk, and yes, taking a lunch break. And put those on your calendar to hold yourself accountable and really reinforce that schedule. So we're all juggling a lot of roles right now. So ask for some tips from other people who are veteran teleworkers, people who've worked from home for a while. Um, explore some of the apps that are out there for time management and organizational strategies. You can even try timers and reward systems. And I know that sounds like something that we might do for children, but it works for adults 
too, right? So one of the things I decided to invest in was an Apple Watch, and it tells me every hour to stand, and I realized that there were times I was sitting at my desk for three and four hours without standing, and I don't know about you, but I get pretty stiff when I don't stand for a while. So this is a great reminder for me to just take that minute to stand um, every hour. Um, but figure out what works for you and be honest about your challenges so that you're more motivated to find solutions. And then using rituals to mark your transitions from work and personal time. So for example, at your day's end, turn your computer off. I close the lid to my laptop. If you've got an office, you know, closing that door and committing to the idea that the office is closed until the next day. Um, another thing I do is I take my work cell phone and I uh, – taking a break can also help renew your sense of motivation. I talked about getting away from your desk, making sure you're eating lunch, right? That can help reduce your decision fatigue and improve your creativity as well as your productivity. And if you have to set an alarm, do it. I ask my significant other sometimes, why do you have so many alarms set on your phone? I feel like your alarms are going off all the time. And he says, I have different alarms set for different things. It helps me to stay on track and gives me reminders about what I need to be doing. And it works for him. Um, making an effort to connect with others outside of work, right? Calling or video chatting with friends or loved ones and using, you know, your free time for activities that um, fill up your spirit. I know that many people are talking about and even starting that transition of returning to work as communities start to reopen and people are going back to their work sites and offices. Um, and the transition back to what used to be our normal could take several months, right? You might be working where people are wearing masks around you and you can't, you know, huddle together to have water cooler chat or whatever the case may be. But um, you know, every state is handling things differently, and even some counties or, or cities within states are handling things differently. And, um, you know, these various places may choose to manage the way they transition people back into a work setting more or less cautiously. So as we wait for treatment and vaccine development, there remain several uncertainties, and it could really take some time to develop new routines uh, or even get, you know, into the habit of uh, some of our old routines. So how can we prepare for change, right? Obviously continue to stay informed and follow safety recommendations, um, but just reiterate that it's important to not inundate yourself with the news, right? And, you know, making sure you're taking care of yourself and utilizing any available resources that you have to you. I mentioned employee assistance programs. A lot of people have access, um, whether it be through your, you know, city that you're working with or, or perhaps another member of your household even having an EAP. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of nervous anxiety as people transition back, right? And it's going to vary. But keeping ex expectations in check could help us to understand that things aren't going to be exactly the same way that they were before, at least not initially. People will likely be in various phases of grieving as well as coping, and some might be apprehensive about transitioning um, out of their home back into an office or a work site. So being respectful to one another about return to work perceptions and expectations is vital. Remember that you're resilient and you've already overcome some difficult changes. Um, one of the cognitive behavioral tips I like to share with people is not only to remind yourself of what you've managed and 
how you've been successful, but then tapping into those skills that you use during that time. You can use those same skills moving forward. And then I'm just going to spend a moment so that you all have uh, time to jot this down or take a peek, if you will. This is Cigna's COVID-19 Resource Center. It can be found on Cigna.com slash COVID-19. And the reason I'm sharing this with you is because it's open to the public. It doesn't matter if you have Cigna for your healthcare um, carrier. We have made all of these resources available and open to the public. We've broken them up into different categories. Um, so for example, emotional and behavioral health, and then you can even look more specifically, for example, at anxiety. We have some really great webinars that are available. Um, some great tip sheets, for example, how to talk about children or how to talk to children about what's going on. Um, and then the other resource I want to call out that's on there is called Aunt Bertha. And this is a great way for uh, people to have resources um, that tackle those social determinants of health. So whether it be finding a local support group or for some who might really be in financial distress, it might be finding, you know, the local food shelf. Um, or, you know, just there's so many great resources on there that are specific to the areas that you live in. So, again, that's Aunt Bertha, and that's on our Cigna.com COVID-19 uh, Resource Center. Lastly, I just wanted to leave us uh, with something in order to just try to keep that positive mindset, right? Yes, you can do hard things, but you can't do impossible things, right? You can't homeschool your kids, work, cook healthy meals, keep a clean house, have all your laundry done, and maintain your, your sanity, right? There's going to be failures each day, and that's okay. Just keep going. We know that if you're, you know, playing school teacher to your child, that you're maybe not going to be doing everything that their teacher would be doing in school. And that's totally fine because you're a parent and you're not a teacher, and that's, that's okay. You don't have to give them a Harvard-level education. Um, in order to still be progressing forward and, and doing what you need to do. So um, that is the end of my um, formal presentation and slides, and we're going to move into uh, the Q&A section. So Holly, I'm going to kick it back to you and Lori. All right. One moment. And at this time, we'll open it up for participant questions. We do look forward to hearing from you. To submit a question, simply type it into the chat area on the lower left side of your screen, and be sure to click on the Send button. Please note that your question will not be viewable to other attendees. And I will turn it to Lori Steinberg with Cigna to get things started. Thanks, Holly. Uh, we do have a couple of questions. And the first one is, how can we practice being a support to others when we ourselves are actually <clears throat> experiencing our own in individual uh, struggles? Yeah, you know, it's such a great question because sometimes people are still really good at supporting others even when they're struggling, right? Every therapist I know can attest to that, and most parents I know can attest to that too. Right? Even when you're not in a good place, you still might be able to parent really well. But it is still important to practice good self-care. Um, you know, I fly a lot on airplanes, so it's easy for me to use that analogy of putting your own mask on um, you know, before you help somebody else. And it's important to make sure that you're getting enough oxygen right, before trying to put 
um, someone else's mask on. So if you're not in a place, though, where you can be a support for someone else, just be honest about it. You can say something like, hey, I'm also really struggling right now, and I think it would be best for us each to find another source of support during this time. Uh, you may even make a suggestion or share an example of what you're going to do. Um, like, I'm going to make an EAP appointment for, for myself today for some time this week, and I'm going to call my friend who's very good at staying realistic and being positive. It's okay to not be everything to everyone all the time. Great. Um, the next question is, do you have any suggestions on how we can motivate ourselves to be more, more responsible with our own well-being? Yeah, motivation is a tough one for some people right now, right? I know I had somebody um, recently ask me, how can I be motivated to continue to work out when all the gyms are closed? But, um, you know, it's easy to forget about self-care during a stressful time, especially if you are caring for other people. Uh, it can be helpful to track certain areas of well-being. So, for example, track what you're eating. Um, how much exercise or physical activity are you getting? How are you actually spending your time, and is it the way you want to be spending your time? Uh, also, what emotions are you having? And then identify the areas that might not be in balance or the areas that you're struggling with um, and continue to just track those and, and put some sort of plan in place that works for you. Um, so for me, snacking has been a big thing because my home office is basically in my kitchen and dining room area. And so I had to make sure that I was um, putting, you know, healthy snacks in my cupboard and um, using my fitness pal to really track uh, my intake and, and what I'm getting, as well as I've been managing that physical activity with the Apple Watch, like I mentioned as well. Yeah, great question. And the next one uh, deals with anxiety. And is there a way to manage anxiety in a productive way? Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned, right, anxiety is not all bad. Anxiety, as I mentioned, can help us to get things done. Um, we can also be anxious due to excitement, right? I mentioned like buying a house or starting a new job. Um, of course, there's some unknowns there, but it can also be an exciting thing. And identifying what's causing your anxiety, look at how is it affecting your body, how is it affecting your thoughts, and then we can do something called thought reframing. So is there... And then is there an action you can put into place? So um, let me give an example. Your thought might be, I can't be at home any longer. I'm going stir crazy. Um, I've heard that one a lot. That's why I use that. Your reframe might be, it has been a blessing in some ways, even though I have felt lonely. I haven't done everything I can to connect with others, and I've been able to accomplish my spring cleaning. I've been very productive during this time. So the action there really addresses the area of feeling lonely, right? So I'll set up time with my friends to do a FaceTime call each week. Um, I have a group of friends where every Tuesday night at 7 o'clock, they get together on a Zoom call and they do trivia. Everybody takes their turn hosting and it's been, you know, they've had a really great time and it's a fun way for them to connect with each other. Yeah. Okay, and a couple of more of have just come in. Um, one is, how can one have an accountability partner when feeling alone and unsupported? Yeah. Uh, personally, I have had an accountability partner as well. And, you know, that might look different for everybody. 
For some, it might be uh, a neighbor. It might be somebody that, you know, lives in your direct home. It might even be somebody who lives across the country that you're connecting with telephonically. And it could just be depending on what you're struggling with, right? So say you're struggling with physical activity and you need some accountability for that. You know, I uh, have one household person that I'm, you know, making sure that I work out with every day and we say, you know, we plan it the night before, and for the most part, we're doing, you know, our workout at a specific time. Um, a lot of the local gyms on FaceTime and Instagram are, are doing free daily workouts, which has been great. And then I also try to get a walk or a jog in every day, too, at least Monday through Friday, right, if I'm going to be lazy on the weekends. Um, so finding somebody who has a mutual goal and also wants accountability, who's, you know, committed to it, I think that that can be a great source of support. Um, for me personally, I've, I have needed it during this time because my accountability used to be I sign up for a class at the gym and therefore I have to show up, and then the instructor tells me what to do, right? It makes it easier um, rather than a time like this where you might not have access to a gym. So I hope that answered the question. Okay, and then this one is similar, um, but this person is looking for ways to uh, break through feelings of apathy in order to be productive at work. Yeah, so, you know, I think it also kind of depends on how you felt about your work before this all hit, right? But let's just assume that uh, this is a change for you and you're feeling very apathetic about it because it might have really changed the way that you do your work, Um and, you know, I think just first and foremost, being honest with yourself about it, like I, I'm just really not getting into this like I used to, but also remembering that, yeah, this is our new normal for now, but it's not going to last forever. What are some things that you possibly can do to feel less apathetic about it? How might you connect with other people who are either struggling or maybe are successful and not feeling that way um, and saying, you know, what are some things that you're doing? Are there certain tips or techniques or tricks that, you know, have really worked for you? Because I'll be honest, I'm, I just kind of don't care right now about the work that I'm doing. You know, I, I can relate to this personally, Lori, because, and thank you to whoever asked the question. Um, my job typically is 85% on the road and traveling. I'm oftentimes doing speaking events. I know many of you probably heard me in, in I believe it was October in Nashville, um, and I had a great time being a part of that event with ICMA, but that's, that's the majority of what I do, and that's where I get my energy. I get my energy from other people. And, you know, sometimes it's hard. I can't see your faces. I don't know if you're rolling your eyes or falling asleep, um, but I have to just try to go, okay, what can I do that I feel like I'm still making a difference in, right? I went into the field I went into for a reason, and even though I'm not doing therapy right now, I get to talk to people, I get to educate people, and I feel like I can still help. And so, you know, doing these webinars, for example, has given me kind of that rejuvenated um, sense of, of meaning in my work. And I think if you don't have meaning in your work, it can lead you to feeling apathetic. So, um, you know, how can you find some meaning in your work? And that might mean that you are doing things differently than just your day-to-day -day routine work. Thanks, Gail. And we have one more question. What is the best way to encourage an employee who, who may have been laid off with some of them not um, 
brought back to work for several more months without raising expectations of a quick return to work. Yeah. And, and I like the way that that's worded as well because I talked about creating that holding environment and the importance of transparency. And I think being honest, you know, even if it's we don't know when we're going to be able to bring you back, but I think also having regular check-ins with those folks and, you know, I think empathizing. Like, I can only imagine how hard this must be for you to be out of work right now. You know, I don't know, uh, based on your question, whether or not that person is, um, you know, being compensated or not. And, and hopefully, if not, then they're qualifying for some stimulus um, or unemployment money. But that aside, I think just providing some empathy, you know, asking if they want to talk about it making sure that that person knows what all of their resources are. I've mentioned EAP a couple of times. You're more than welcome to share our Cigna COVID page and Aunt Bertha. Those can be really great resources for people. But again, transparency and honesty. And, and maybe you just say, hey, I'm going to make sure that I check in with those folks every two weeks or three weeks. Or maybe you ask that person, how often would you like me to check in with you? Um, I can do it once a month or I can do it more frequently if that's helpful for you just to let you know what I know and just be honest about it. And that could be, you know, as of right now, we don't know when or if we can, you know, bring people back to work. So I know those are hard conversations to have, but again, just being honest, kind of setting that plan of how often you're going to check in with people I think can go a long way. Well, th thanks, Gail. And that um, covers all of the questions that have come through in the chat box. So, Holly, okay. turning it Great. over to you. Okay. And with that, we must conclude today's webinar. A special thank you to our presenter and to everyone who joined us today. Please take a moment now to complete a brief evaluation of today's program by clicking on the evaluation link to the left of the screen. Your comments and suggestions are important to us as we plan future events. The survey must be completed in order to receive a certificate for this program. You can also access the survey from your ICMA University dashboard by clicking on the program title once you're logged in. Thank you for your participation today in today's webinar. We hope you will join us again soon. Today's program is copyright 2020 by the International City County Management Association with all rights reserved. This concludes today's program. You may now disconnect.